Good evening. Good evening. Hi. <laughs> Let's pray. Let's read Psalm 133. We're going to talk about Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 14, Saving Faith. And then we are going to learn parts for Amazing Grace tonight, which is going to be super. Thank you, large clan of singing voices that came to help us. So that's going to be really exciting. We also, last night, a handful of us were able to go. We went to, it's kind of a, a group community churches of our, our kind of flavor of churches get together once a month to sing psalms. And it was awesome last night. We had, how many people do you think we really had there? At least 60 people. It was so, pardon? More than that. It was so fantastic. And I got to lead uh, through Psalm 136 ever and a. So that was really fun too. And the, your pastor, they only were going to do, let's just do one verse. He's like, no, we got to do them all. And I was like, yes, we have to do them all. And so that was fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. All right, let's pray. Father, we're so incredibly grateful for this evening, um, for our fellowship here, for this time to come together to worship you and to do it in joy. And so bless us, Lord, as we do this. We ask for uh, blessings and our friends at the Outpost Church in Illinois. Uh, we pray for Alex and the sermon that he's going to give tomorrow. Lift him up, Lord, that he stands true on your word and, and does it with great joy. And we pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 All right. Psalm 133. Let's see if I get to the right tab on the right time. I did. Look at that. This is the word of the Lord. Behold, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mounds of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God indeed. I've used George Michael more times than I ever expected in sermons and things that I've said, but I hope, I hope that he did get faith before he died. But he wasn't wrong in what he said, though I don't think he understood what faith was when he said, you just got to have faith. He was certainly right. And now it's going to be stuck in all of your heads for the rest of the evening. But if, there's, if there was a word that I think people would associate with Christians, it would be the word faith. Right? There are so many Hobby Lobby, like knick-knack, kitschy things that have faith on them. And so you can probably buy like a truckload full of them. I've seen stickers of car, on cars that say faith and it's made out of a cross. And I've seen tat, like there's like a white girl tattoo that kind of goes along with that as well. I'm sorry if anybody has that white girl tattoo in here. Uh, uh, but faith is, is so primary in Christian theolo theology that we speak of it as sola fide, faith alone. Right? And, and so the question then should be, and that's what the confession is going to answer for us, is what is faith? And this is a really important question to answer. And before we look at what faith is, it's important to look at what faith is not. So faith is not believing something despite all the evidence against it. I'll say that again. Faith is not believing something despite all the evidence against it. So the apologetics class that I'm teaching, we're studying Greg Bonson's Against All Opposition. It's a presuppositional apologetics book. There's, it's the first in a series of three. It's really good. If you're interested in presuppositional apologetics, it's a great book. They, they basically transcribed a bunch of his talks. So if you've listened to Greg Bonson speak, when you read it, you're like, oh, I can hear it in his voice. But so it, it takes this presuppositional apologetic approach. And in that book, he specifically addresses the fact that most, pe most people who are not in faith in Jesus look at faith as believing in something despite all of the rational evidence against it. That's kind of the general working definition of faith, right? They say, well, you believe in things even though the evidence says that all of this came by accident from primordial goo 
and you were all amoebas or something. You're all a clump of cells, a very handsome and beautiful group of cells. No, obviously not. So they look at faith as fables, uh, cute stories you might tell to children. Uh, they have like a Aesop's fables. It probably has some kind of a moral lesson at the end of it. Uh, s someone in our extended family said that he had heard from some people that he knew that religion and, and faith are for people who need hope. I mean, they're not wrong about that. But <laughs> before we talk about what sola fide is, this idea of faith alone, our saving faith, we have to understand what faith is. So if faith isn't believing in things against the, uh, the evidence presented, then what is it? Well, faith is trusting in God's sanctification. Faith is not just believing in God. It's not just the mere acknowledgement that God exists, but it, it's believing in Him so much that you actually, you actually believe in Him so much that you look to order your life in the manner in which He has told you to order it because you acknowledge that He is king over everything. Faith is not just being in prayer. Uh, and it's not just praying a prayer, like, hey, okay, everyone close their eyes and pray this prayer, boom, you're in the club. It's not actually like that, no matter what anybody has told you. That, that's, that's not what faith is. And it's, it's an unfortunate lie that we have this kind of broader, I paint broad brushstrokes many times, broader American church culture that has just painted this idea that your faith in Christ can be just reduced to this choice for this thing that you said one time, and that's it, you're cool. Like, nothing else is ever expected from you for the rest of your life. And, and that's... That's how you end up with people who li are living in, you know, quote-unquote faith that's not faith that has no meaningful impact on the rest of their life. They're like, oh, yeah, I mean, if I had to answer on the form, if it said, you know, what's your religion? I would check Christian. What does that mean for you? Well, I go to church, you know, most occasion, every quarter. There's a couple big holidays a year, but it was really good, and they had lasers, and there was a fog machine. <laughs> Two fog machines. It was like the Spirit was descending upon us. Um, we... That's not what, what faith is. We were, we were just chatting with a friend, a new friend of ours this last week. It's really cool how God brings people into your life. And then Kristen does women's ministry at Costco and Murdoch's. And so we meet lots of people at Costco and Murdoch's. You never know what's going to happen. Kristen has a very, yeah, we can get horse donated. There's a, Kristen's got a very lucrative Costco ministry. <laughs> and so she, she met this woman at Murdoch's and, um, and, they were lamenting about some of the greater, this woman was lamenting about some of the greater cultural issues that like we see in clown world, right? Like all the weird, that's why I asked you yesterday if any of your teachers have their pronouns in anything, because if they did, I was gonna tell you to leave, like be gone, don't go back, it's, it's not even a joke. So she says, she says to us, as we're standing by the car, she says, the only answer is Jesus. And we're like, yeah, no, you're right. The actual only answer to all of the ills in the world is Jesus. God is the only answer, right? That's a big amen to that. Hey, what's going on, man? And, you know, there's that silly hope of the religious people, like, ha, our God's the answer. <laughs> He's full of love and hope. I mean, it's kind of funny when people make fun of you for believing in hope and peace and love. But, but then she asked this really important question next. Right? She acknowledged that Jesus is the answer, but then she says, well, what can she do? You know, what can this one person do? There's so many problems. There's so many things. Like, where do you even start? How do you even start? Can one person, can a small community make a difference? And I told her, the Christian life is one that is lived in faith by works. I, like, just especially for all of you fellow Reformed friends, works is not a dirty word. It's, it's actually not a dirty word. Being saved by works, that's, that's a bunch of dirty words put together. But, but your faith, your faith is to be lived out of your works. Uh, 
you, you need to have the word works in your vocabulary because your faith has to be actionable. Your faith can't just be like, I have this personal relationship and Jesus lives right here in my heart and that's just good enough for me. Right? Saving faith, real faith, impacts every aspect of your life. Look at what James says in 2, 14 through 26. He says, what does it profit my brethren? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warm, and be filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You then see that a man is justified by works, not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she was received, when she uh, received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. You're not saved by works. You're totally justified by your faith in Jesus. But your faith in Jesus has to take action somewhere. It has to change you. Don't come, you know, come as you were, but, but don't leave as, so come, come as you are, but don't leave as you were. I say, that often. I say it so often I can't even say it right right now. Come as you are, but don't leave as you were, right? And I bring this up because it's important for us to know that your saving faith in Jesus will come with works. It will come with actions. Repentance is key among them, right? which is fitting for this Lenten season that we're in as we're walking towards Easter, as we're thinking and, and meditating and reflecting upon the cross of Christ and Jesus' suffering. Repentance is kind of a key thing we should be thinking about. But we should be thinking about it because saving faith isn't actually from us, it's from God. It's God that works in us is what allows us to respond to Him faithfully, right? God cuts our heart open and we respond to His call. So faith is our trusting in God's promised sanctification of us. We talked about the, the importance of sanctification well, a week or two ago. This, this idea that you're in this place of consistent growth through the life of a Christian. There's never perfection. You can't None of you will be, none of you are perfect. You will be perfect later. We're reunited with God and there's no more evil and sin. But, but right now, none of you can be perfect, but you're on this, this journey of sanctification as God perfects you. Being perfect and being perfected are two really big different things. But it has to come from God. And so faith is trusting in that process. Right? Faith is living out your, your, your theology out of your fingertips because you trust in God's continuous sanctification in your life. So now the confession, chapter 14 of Saving Faith. The grace of faith, whereby the elect are enabled to believe to the saving of their souls, is the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts, and is ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the Word, by which also, and by the administration of the sacraments and prayer, it is increased and strengthened. I agree. By this faith, a Christian believeth to be true whatsoever is revealed in the Word. For the authority of God himself speaking therein, and acteth differently upon uh, that which each particular passage thereof containeth, yielding obedience to the commands, trembling at the threatenings, embracing the promises of God for this life and that which is to come. 
but the principal acts of saving faith are accepting and receiving and resting upon Christ alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. This faith is different in degrees, weak or strong, may be often in many ways assailed and weakened, but gets the victory, growing up in many to the attainment of a full assurance through Christ, who is both the author and the finisher of our faith. So, so in the last three weeks, we've studied justification, adoption, and sanctification, and now we get to this idea of saving faith. And, and so the reformers are clear, the confession is clear, we get saving faith as the result of the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's important. You are not responsible for your faith. Now, you're responsible for living your faith out, but, but coming to faith, that was God working in you first. And so we're enabled to believe by the Holy Spirit because we can't believe without God because of, the, because of our sinful state. Our hearts turn from the Lord, not towards Him. So you can't be like, oh, I just decided today. I'm just no longer going to be a sinner. I, me, myself, I picked that. It doesn't work that way. You're... Sin's fun. That's why people sin. And, and then we rationalize why that behavior is acceptable and continue to participate in it. it. Turning away from that is not something people are naturally inclined to do. Jeremiah 17.9, because the heart is depraved above all things, right? So, knowing that God comes to us first, it acknowledges our sinful state, it, we, our depraved state that we are so depraved that we cannot pick God. So God, in His love, draws us, through His grace, draws us to Himself, and He does this by the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. It's this effectual work of the Spirit that opens up the Word of God to His elect, to the people in His covenant. And then those in His covenant respond in faith. Being in God's covenant means you're responsible for living out your faith, but not coming to faith. God brings you in. So have you ever read something in the Bible to somebody who's not a believer, or you've quoted a verse from the Bible, a non-believer, like something relatively simple, not something like you're like, let's talk about John's allegory and illustration in the book of Revelation. And you, just, you read something very clear, right? And they look at you cross-eyed like, like you've spoken something to them that they can't actually understand. And you're like, but I don't understand. It's really clear. Like, I, this changed my life right here. Did you not understand this? Like, I don't have any clue why this had any impact on your life. So the believer, the believer, the one who's in God's covenant responds to preaching and to the word because that's the manner in which the spirit works so that you can respond to the call upon your heart. Those who aren't in faith don't respond. Many times they recoil, they push against, they hate. Right? We've seen that, we've seen that here. People that wouldn't walk in the house, only going to meet you there on the front porch, right? It's, we can see how people can respond. Those who react to the Word of God in a positive manner right, are under God's grace. God's Word is opened unto them. Romans 6.14, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. See, one cannot experience the grace of God being dead in their sin. We're going to talk tomorrow more about pride. You can't be in your own pride and be in faith. Like it, it, you can't be in those two. There's no dual citizenship in God's kingdom. So the grace of God is what brings sinners out of their death, right? Christ's death justifies us. The Spirit makes sinners alive, reborn. That's a term. That's a term. We're going to talk about living out our, res our resurrection lives when we come to Easter. And see, I know this too firsthand. I know this. I read the Bible as a kid. I went to youth camp. I went to all the things that were supposed to be really formative, and it, nothing. And then 
when, when God called me to him, when he cut my heart open deep, I can't, how did I not even see this before? This is incredible. Like, it's so clear. And, and not only that, but I, I yearn for it. I yearn to follow the Lord. I want to follow the Lord, right? Because his path is right, and he's adopted me as his, and he loves me, and he gave, I'm, I'm here by his grace. Like, it is literally new life. It's not my own clarity either, right? It's, it's, it's godly clarity. Second Peter 1, 20 through 21. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Spirit. Like, it's not my, it's not my interpretation. It's sola scriptura. It's Scripture interpreting Scripture. It's God's Word alive speaking to us, impacting us. It's His Word cutting deep into our hearts. See, that's what allows one to be faithful. In that response, one has no choice but to be faithful. You can't... You cannot resist. The people who are in God's covenant cannot resist Him. It's impossible. It's impossible. Being faithful is the active acknowledgement of your salvation. That's what it means to be faithful, is you actively acknowledge your salvation. Knowing you are a saved sinner, and then you live as such. Now, the confession also deals in reality. That's one of the things that I really love. Because we are messy, real people, right? And so... The reality is none of us are free from sin. We are free from sin's dominion over us. Sin does not control us, but we, we aren't free from sinning. That's why we have, have repentance and confession and forgiveness. We wouldn't need those things if we were, if like something magic is like, poof, no more sinning. Congratulations. You're perfect. It doesn't work like that. And so the confession acknowledges that our faith may still be assailed. I would argue that your faith certainly will be assailed. The stronger you grow in your faith, the stronger you grow in living all of Christ for all of life, you can absolutely guarantee that it's going to be assailed. And, and, and the other reality is there are dark nights of the soul. That, that is a reality of life as part of the experience of being human as we experience these periods of backsliding, we experience dark nights of the soul. Real life happens to those who are under God's covenant. Like being in, in, in the covenant of God does not all of a sudden mean like nothing difficult is going to be, or challenging is going to be faith. Actually, it's promised all over Scripture that the testing of your faith ultimately produces hope and perseverance. So Christ's elect are going to have moments when their faith is assailed, but, but the, the reminder that confession tells you is that your faith is still victorious, even in those moments. Amen, Amen indeed, because Jesus is king over everything. So, so even when your faith is being assailed, Jesus is still Jesus. It's really great. That is, that is the seat of our hope. If, if this was something that you got to pick, like, I'm in faith, I'm not in faith. It's like the movie Airplane. He's unplugging the lights, on, off, on, off, on. <laughs> no, it's not like that. You can't, can't fall out of faith once you're in faith. Even if you have a period of the dark night of the soul, your faith is victorious, and that's where our hope, that's where our hope is seated. Now, if somebody, somebody falls out of faith and they never return, then they weren't in faith to begin with. And that's, that's a real shame. I think I told you I read a book recently called The Pilgrim's Regress that talks about the difference between backsliding and apostasy. Because there's a difference. And so how to put boundaries up and markers to help prevent people from backsliding and how to help them out of it once they have backslid. And that's different than being an apostasy. This idea that Faith is the trust in, in the sanctification of God came from Doug Wilson's commentary on the Westminster Confession of Faith. And that, that's, that's really resonating. It's kind of why that's been the anchor point for what I wanted to share tonight. Because I've talked a lot 
in the last, I don't know, a few months, asked everybody, like, do you believe in the promises of God? Do you really believe them? You have to ask yourself that. It's like a litmus test. It's a litmus test for, for, for where your faith is at. Because if you believe in the promises of God, then you will receive the rewards, like being free of anxiety and being in trust and all of these things, because, because God promises you those, right? The, the, the challenge is never God, it's us. <laughs> now, there's, we all have to, our challenge manifests itself differently for each of us. That's what's kind of fun about being unique. And that's why we get to grow together and we get to share and care for each other in the way that God cares for us. But we have to ask ourselves, if we trust the promises of God, because faith, active faith lived out, is, is trusting the promises of God. It's living out the trust of your sanctification. The reality is we all need hope as people, right? Like everybody needs hope. And our faith is the seed of that hope because it's a promise of growth and sanctification. It's the promise of, of forgiveness lived out, which is really incredible when you think about it. And so when we have faith in God, when we live our faith out in God, when we have faith in His promises, we live these really hopeful, joyful lives, even in really difficult times, because we're trusting in the sanctification of God. We can be, we can lament. That's not saying we're not to be people. Actually, we're taught how to lament. We have a whole bunch of the Bible that that encourages us to lament, because God can handle your lament. And that's really great too. There's hope in that as well. God can handle your lament. Just because you're lamenting doesn't mean you have to be worrying. You can lament. And, and still be in trust, full trust in God, and you can, still, you can still express your displeasure at the situation you were in and still acknowledge that God is in control of it. Like that is the seed of contentment. That is the seed of faith. That is the seed of hope because you know that God is in control. So we're going to talk about tomorrow morning at Sunday school why the resurrection matters so much. Like why, why, why that, that is actually a binary thing. It either happened or it didn't happen and why that matters so very much. But the faithful are, are people that don't worry because they know that God's a righteous judge. That's why the faithful don't have to take revenge. And yeah, I agree. Our world needs a lot of hope. And, and I don't think it's like fake hope found in pretend self-help religion, right? That never works anyways. I mean, we see all these hopeless walking dead people all over the place. Some of them even have smiles on their faces, but they're living empty dead lives, and they're trying to fill a God-sized hole with all of these wrong things, right? They have faith in everything except the living God. They have faith in the science. Faith that, though, did you hear? We're victorious. It has been announced, though. We, I want to let you know, here at Christ Church, we have been treating COVID like the flu since 2020. We were doing it before it was cool, but yesterday they announced, mission accomplished, we can now treat COVID like the flu, so you can all take your masks off now. Um, <laughs> But we have these people, they put all their faith in the wrong things. Faith in the science, faith in the numbers, faith in the government, faith, faith in the government educating your children, faith in your job, faith in your college degree, faith in your car. Right? All these things, these, these, faith, these faith ideas that are man's creation, man's choice. It's all man trying to be in control. Right? I mean, do you remember that? Those of you old enough to remember after 9-11, the color coding scheme? Faith. Today is a yellow day. No, red. No, orange. No, green. I don't know what... Ah, Al-Qaeda. Weapons of mass destruction. Yellow, red, orange. Right? And people had all this faith. Faith. Terror alert. Terror alert. <laughs> um, but it was man trying to hold on, hold on to control. You see, the faithful, the faithful aren't lazy. They're not just sitting around. They're going out and building the kingdom of God because they trust in the work that God ha has put before them. They, they trust in the path, the righteous path that's laid out before them. 
the universe, the creator of the universe laid a path out in front of all of you. Our job is to trust it and to walk it and to grow in our sanctification. He saved each member of his elect on purpose because he knew you from before the creation of the world by name. He knew exactly what your contribution to his kingdom was going to be. Your job is to trust in that and to go and do. That is faith. And then what's really beautiful is that as you continue to trust in the promises of God, as you trust in your sanctification, your faith actually grows. And then your worry goes down. Your anxiety, all these other things, all of these promises of God that He has promised you, they take place. There's no reason to be discontent. There's no reason to be worried, right? You can live in joy in a way that people don't really understand because you have faith in God. Because you know everything that's placed before you was on purpose from God. And there are things that He has given you to shepherd and build and grow and ultimately, ultimately to glorify, right? Because He told us to do that, to take dominion over His creation, to beautify His creation, to make food that tastes good, to make drink, to sing songs that are joyful. That's why those who are in faith are constantly feasting. Because people who are victorious are always celebrating their victory. We are warriors, Christian soldiers, of a victorious army that cannot lose. So what do we do on Saturday nights? We come to the table and we feast. We feast. That's why we live our, our faith out of our fingertips. And that's why James tells us faith without works is dead. If, if you believe in eternal life with God, we're going to talk about that tomorrow. The, the, the rich young ruler is going to come to Jesus and ask what he needs to get eternal life. What's up, gentlemen? Hey. Hey. Um, he's going to ask what you need, what he needs to do to receive eternal life. But if you are in faith and you believe in eternal life, why would you be worried about death? If you believed uh, in the promises of God, like why would you worry about the world ending of all things? If you believe that God will always provide, why do you stress about where your provision will come from? I've been guilty of that. God, God has a very humorous way. If I have stress about like provision, then the provision that's provided very soon right afterwards, and then my wife points it out to me as a reminder that God is certainly in control. See, when we grow in our faith, it means that we trust in our sanctification because we know where our provision comes from, so we don't have to spend any of our time worrying about that. We can spend our time doing. That's why we're people of action, not just people of quiet meditation. We are people that are to go out and do things. We go build, we beautify, we create, because God, our greatest creator, has made us in his image to go do the same. And isn't that glorious? It's really glorious. So our faith is the seed of our joy. It is the reason that the faithful are strong. The joy of the Lord is our strength, right? The, the joy of the Lord is our strength. His joy is our joy because our faith is in Him, and we receive His benefits, and He's joyful, which means we are joyful people. Not because like, we chose Him or raised our hand, because He chose us, because we know the gift of grace that comes from being His children. Uh, faith is not believing in something that runs contrary to reality. Uh, faith is actually believing very strongly in reality, the, the, the only reality, the Creator that upholds the universe. That, that faith is trust, it is full trust, it is trusting in God's continued provision and, and sanctification, and it's what allows all of you to go build families and build Christendom and to do on earth as it is in heaven. And so um, we are people that believe in faith alone, 
in Christ alone, by grace alone. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's sing a couple songs. We're going to learn parts for Amazing Grace, which is really exciting because we have people here that can teach us how to sing better, which is so cool. And then we have burgers and brats and so much food. It's going to be delicious. So if you want to grab some hymnal sea shanties and we'll, uh, we'll get kicked off.